0: Oh, hi, it's Zach Peter, your new favorite pop culture guru serving you the hottest tea three times a week. From the latest news on The Real Housewives, deep dives into celebrity legal scandals, unfiltered convos with your favorite stars, and of course, the latest from Vanderpump Land, I've got you covered. And new episodes of the podcast are now available in video on Spotify. And they don't just let anybody do video. But this platinum blonde has won them over. So if you want the latest news from the ultimate tea spilling professional, tune in to No Filter with Zach Peter. That's No Filter with Zach Peter on your favorite podcast app now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of All My Movies. We are continuing Action Month in June, and after looking at so many options, staring at the shelf, as it were, I decided to narrow it down even a little bit more. This is 90s Action Month here on All My Movies, and today we are covering one of the best 90s action movies of all time, one of the best action movies of all time, one of the best sequels of all time, sci-fi movies, you name it, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which was released in 1991. I'm excited to talk about this film, but before I do, I first want to thank you for watching, if you're watching on my YouTube channel, and if you're listening via our podcast feed. If you're an audio listener and you want to see the video of the show, you can check me out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Movies. And if you're watching us on YouTube, a great way to help the show grow is to become an audio subscriber. You can find all that information down in the description below. And as always, I want to thank my partners at Skybound and the Schmodown Entertainment Network. Check out SEN, we are in the heart of the Schmodown season. The Collision is coming up very soon. There are title shots to be had, championship pictures to be sketched, a lot of high-stakes stuff going on, along with SEN Live, the Inner Geekdom Show, the Goofball Show, a bunch of great programming over on SEN that you can check out right now. In 1984, The Terminator, written by James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd and directed by Cameron, defied the odds and became a breakout hit, launching James Cameron's career into his next film, Aliens, in 1986, and launching into the stratosphere, the career of its star, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. Following the Terminator's success, the rights to the franchise were tied up for years between Gail Ann Hurd, who had bought the rights from James Cameron to the Terminator for $1, and the film's original production company, the Hemdale Film Corporation. After years of hitting dead ends. Arnold Schwarzenegger reached out to Mario Kassar, who was the co-head of Carol Carolco Carol Co. is a production company that had really risen to prominence with the Rambo series of films, but had gone on to produce hits like They Live and Field of Dreams, and done the Arnold Schwarzenegger films Red Heat and Total Recall.
1: One day I got a call from Arnold, and he says to me, I think you're the only one who can put this together. We've all been trying. There was no way I was not going to do it. But it was very complicated.
0: The first order of business after securing the rights to the Terminator for a reported $5 million was to recruit James Cameron to return as writer and director. Since the Terminator's release, Cameron had gone on to make Aliens and the Abyss, and he was initially a little reluctant to return to the director's chair, but was swayed to come back for a few good reasons, or several million good reasons.
1: Mario Casar
2: called me up and said, all right, we got the rights to Terminator 2. Our first choice is for you to direct it. I said, I don't know, I got other things, I got other ideas.
1: And
0: he said, well, we'll pay you $6 million. I said, okay, that's pretty much how it went. To co-write the screenplay, Cameron went to a friend of his since he was a teenager, William Wisher Jr wisher had worked with cameron on the original terminator script and received additional dialogue credit for that movie and he was happy to return to the fold and work with his friend cameron and wisher were under the gun immediately to get the screenplay done they were already locked into a july 4th 1991 release date which was just a little more than a year away from having a blank page and they already had an idea that would turn the franchise on its head which was to take the movie's main villain and turn him into the franchise's main hero.
2: Well, the big question was who was the enemy, who was, the, and who was the bad guy. Uh, obviously, it could have just been Sarah and or John fighting the Terminator again, but that didn't seem to really what? move the thing down downfield very far. The biggest, riskiest thing that we wanted to do was to take Arnold
1: from being one of the most famous villains in the world and making him a hero. Get down. And the person who objected to it the most was Arnold. My first thought was bullshit. It's the second, kind a of
0: Even though Schwarzenegger in the Terminator was regarded as one of the best movie villains of modern times, the decision was finalized to make him the hero. But who would he be protecting? Cameron and Wisher decided to shift the focus slightly from Sarah Connor to her son John, the future leader of the human resistance. But they both wanted Linda Hamilton to return to the role that made her famous back in 1984. And according to Cameron, the direction of the story depended on her decision. I didn't want to recast it, that would have been nuts. I would have just written
1: a different story. But if Linda was in, then I would center the story around her. I called Linda,
0: she said, I want
2: to be crazy. Good morning, Dr. Silberman,
0: how's the knee? After agreeing to be in the film, Hamilton threw herself into the role and did extensive combat training and physical training in order to make the transition of Sarah Connor from the waitress in the first movie to the guerrilla warrior of the second movie believable.
2: It was really like entering the military and and learning the mindset and um, coming up against myself. She's a great warrior, but for what, you know, so what? She doesn't have anything that makes it worth while, you know? And also,
0: my life. With the principal cast back on board, Terminator 2's story began to take shape. Young John Connor, future leader of the Human Resistance, would be targeted by a new Terminator sent from the future called the T-1000. The T-800, Schwarzenegger's character, reprogrammed to protect John, is also sent back in time where he finds John, saves Sarah from a mental institution, and then the three of them try to outrun both the assassin following them and the nuclear apocalypse that is going to wipe out most of the human race in a few short years. The shape of the new threat, the T-1000, would turn out to be a shifting one it would be made out of liquid metal able to adapt to any situation and a true foil to the massive figure cut by schwarzenegger in the first film
2: the idea was to try to find something that was as scary as the terminator and as unstoppable as the terminator but in a different completely different way and i always thought of it as a kind of an east meets west concept that he's well the- he's very he's very fluid and the Terminator is very, very kind of machine-like and and hard-edged. Well, it's soft and hard. It's soft and hard fighting. Right, that would, exactly, you know, exactly. In, and In martial arts, you'd have the same. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between kung fu and karate.
0: Writing a Terminator made out of liquid metal is one thing, but making it reality is quite another. And Cameron, who had already experimented with water effects in his film The Abyss, turned to Dennis Muren at Industrial Light and Magic to see if the thing that he wanted to make possible was even possible to do in the visual effects realm.
1: And I said, Dennis, can we do this? He said, yeah, we can do it. He had no idea how to do it. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like it in the film. It was like impossible for this work to have been done like two years before, but actually it was even like impossible for this stuff to have been done a week before because we were learning things that fast.
0: To play the T-1000, Cameron didn't want to cast another bruising bodybuilder like Schwarzenegger. He wanted a new look, a sleeker model, and he found the look he wanted in Robert Patrick, a relatively unknown actor who had just had a very small role in Die Hard 2.
2: Jim was looking for somebody that was sort of a mixture between the protector character, which was Michael Bean in the first, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, which, was, uh, which is the Terminator. And I think he was looking for somebody that could look like he could possibly just be a human, and yet could be uh, a Terminator, could handle the intensity to be in a Terminator. If the 800 series is a kind of human panzer tank, then the 1000 series had to be a Porsche.
0: Patrick was also keenly aware that the first time many people would notice him on screen would be as the main nemesis to the biggest action star in the world, and that he would get to kick that action star's butt across the screen for much of the movie.
2: If the way to be introduced to the world is as
1: a Terminator, kicking the shit out of Arnold Schwarzenegger, tell me another role
0: that's as cool as that. Casting John Connor, a child actor who would have to carry much of the dramatic heft of the movie, was no easy task. And after seeing hundreds of what Cameron called commercial actors, the casting director of the movie was able to find, literally on the street, Edward Furlong, who had no career film acting experience whatsoever. And as if that wasn't enough, Furlong had to do his performance not once, but largely twice as puberty began to run its course throughout the film's months-long production.
2: I noticed that Eddie's voice was changing. You know, we shot for, uh, I think we shot for five and a half months or some, something in that order. And his voice changed in the middle of the film. So Eddie, who'd never looped a line in his life, had to go back and loop about half his performance. <laughs>
0: The last remaining major role to be cast was a new character named Miles Dyson, the man who develops the AI that will eventually be Skynet, which wipes out the human race and nukes the world. Originally targeted for termination by Sarah, Dyson becomes a key ally and helps them in their fight to save the future. Stage screen and television actor Joe Morton was cast as Miles Dyson, and according to Morton, from the beginning, James Cameron was determined to give this breakout role to a black actor. Most
1: science fiction films, either black characters die at the very beginning or they're not in it at all. From the outset, I think that James Cameron made it very clear that whoever was going to play that role was going to be a black actor.
0: Filming on Terminator 2 began in October of 1990 and ended in March 1991, less than four months before the movie was slated to hit theaters, a degree of cutting it close that was almost unprecedented. Also unprecedented was the movie's budget. As he would do a little more than five years later with Titanic, James Cameron was at the helm of the most expensive movie ever made. Terminator 2's budget was pegged just north of a hundred million dollars. And while a lot of producers may have balked at that figure, Mario Kassar viewed it as just a side effect of working with a genius like James Cameron.
1: That's what it costs with James Cameron to do this movie. It's not like he likes to go over budget. He's an expensive director. It's like going to a restaurant and you either order great meat that costs you a lot of money, but it's worth eating it, or you go to have a hamburger for $2. I mean, that's your choice.
0: While Kassar wasn't necessarily sweating the budget, that didn't mean that Cameron was taking the production lightly, bringing his trademark intensity to the filmmaking process.
1: James Cameron is one person before the movie starts and is another person when the movie begins. It is a really great asset to have this determination and passion,
0: but don't get in his way. First on the agenda for the crew were critical elements that needed to be filmed in order for the visual effects to be completed on time. But because these shots were part of sequences that wouldn't be filmed until weeks or months later, Cameron and his crew had the unenviable task of crafting puzzle pieces that they wouldn't be able to fill in for quite a while. So many of those CG shots with the T-1000...
2: The background plates were actually shot before we shot the scene we had to imagine what the scene was going to look like build a set of just the background for that particular effect shot and then weeks
0: or months later we actually shot the scene that ran up to it and came after it. From there, Cameron and the crew went into filming the rest of the movie and that's where I want to jump in. Just starting at the beginning of Terminator 2 and going all the way through the end and we start with a great prologue, this voiceover from Sarah Connor. We see the future, this burnt out husk of humanity. This reestablishes the premise of the first movie but also builds and expands upon it. For example, even though Kyle Reese told Sarah Connor that there was an impending nuclear apocalypse in the first Terminator, the date of that apocalypse and the name Judgment Day were not established until this very movie
2: 3 billion human lives ended on August 29th 1997 the survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day
0: Right away we see the impact of both the bigger budget that Terminator 2 had and the improved technology, and this look at the future is one of the few sequences that actually doesn't involve any CGI trickery. It's all models, miniatures, rear projection, the old way of doing things. Much of this was brought to life by the legendary Stan Winston and Stan Winston Studio, including the now iconic Terminator endoskeleton, which was introduced in the first movie and improved upon in the second. We then go to the opening credits featuring an incredible score by composer Brad Fidel and Fidel was not and is not really a prolific composer he hasn't worked in movies for quite some time after the first Terminator film he did movies like Fright Night and following Terminator 2 he only did a handful more films including re-teaming with James Cameron for True Lies but despite the fact that he does not have a massive filmography Fidel's contribution to movie music is huge because the Terminator theme is one of the best movie themes of all time I even paid homage to Fidel's score back when I was working as an editor on Honest Trailers, and we did the Honest Trailer for Terminator 2, modifying the order that we popped up the request graphics at the beginning of the trailer. Next, we see the arrival of the two Terminators, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Robert Patrick, and I really do have to give it to James Cameron. He was trying really hard to disguise who was good and who was bad for people watching the movies, even though that secret was given away in making of specials on TV. In 1984, Cameron transformed Arnold into one of the screen's most memorable villains.
1: Seven years later, the process is reversing itself.
0: And the movie's trailer itself.
1: Once, he was programmed to destroy the future
0: what it's like to try to kill one of
1: these things now his
0: mission get down is to protect it in a commentary track for the movie james cameron and william wisher do acknowledge that while they did try to play it cool for the first half hour of the film it was ultimately a futile effort
2: it's a fake out that ignores the fact that people are going to talk about the movie in interviews before anyone has seen it and say <laughs> so you play a good guy in this film arnold uh, what, what what was that like I know, but you know, you still have to—you have to construct you the story. Go through the, you go through as the motions. That's right. not going to happen, right? Exactly. You know?
0: We also meet John Connor, who is in foster care after Sarah's been institutionalized, but that hasn't stopped him from doing things like breaking into ATMs and putting some serious stank on the name Todd. She's
1: not my mother, Todd.
0: Everybody and their mother at this point has heaped praise on Linda Hamilton's performance in this movie, and it really is an outstanding performance, but I'm going to add to the chorus here because her transformation, not just physically, but emotionally, from the first movie to the second movie, really helps to underscore the gravity and the stakes of what we're facing in Terminator 2. Sarah Connor has gone from terrified every woman to traumatized survivor, the only sane person in a world full of walking ghosts. And when you're the only person that knows the truth, That means that you're labeled as insane, which in itself has driven Sarah Connor to the level of actual insanity
2: You're already dead, everybody Him, you, you're dead already This whole place, everything you see is gone
0: All of our characters begin to converge at a shopping mall where both Terminators have tracked down John And then there's the moment that in a vacuum We would have had the big reveal of who the good guy is and who the bad guy is Get down After an initial showdown that Schwarzenegger's Terminator loses handily, John Connor tries to flee from the T-1000 on his dirt bike. And in an unpredictable switch of fact versus fiction, if this were the real world, the human race would have been doomed immediately. Robert was fast.
1: He was like Panther fast. And when he kicked into gear, he could outrun the motorcycle. People go like, well, they sped it up. And I went, no, that's me, man. That's me. First time we did the run, I caught the kid. I said okay we can't use that take because <laughs> john connor just
0: died and the world just ended the t1000 eventually chases john in a semi truck through the flood control basins that run throughout the San Fernando Valley, and the semi is eventually destroyed, producing a shot that is a mirror image of a shot from the first Terminator film with the T-1000 emerging from the fire, only this time he transforms from the liquid metal into the actor Robert Patrick in front of our very eyes. While parts of this shot may seem basic by today's standards, I think that most of the computer graphics in Terminator 2 hold up extremely well, a pinnacle of computer animation that people at the time didn't even know was possible. And I think that's partly because the CGI in this film was not a tool of convenience, it was a tool of necessity, and one that had to be used sparingly. I think in T2 we had about 47 or so CG shots. You know, part of it was
2: that every single frame of that computer animation was so costly that we really had to be
0: stingy about how we used it, which meant that we had to be clever. Dennis Muren estimated 47 CG shots, and I'll take his word for it, after all, he, you know, worked on the movie. I counted even fewer in my viewing of the film for this episode. And just to underscore how much filmmaking has changed in the time since Terminator 2 came out, compare the 47 shots in Terminator 2 with the reported 2,500 computer effects shots that were required for 2019's Adventures Endgame. Much of the problem solving for how to move away from computers wherever possible was done by Stan Winston studio, which had made its first huge impact with 1984's The Terminator. And you might think that an effects guru like Stan Winston, who was rooted and based in reality, rubber and foam and metal, would have shied away from the computer revolution. But in actuality, Winston, who passed away in 2008, was the exact opposite. Every time there is a new technology, there is a paranoid faction of less than brilliant artists who feel that that's the end of their career. If I define myself as someone who wants to create characters. And I want to use whatever tool it is
2: to create the most memorable character there is. The brilliant people in the field, the people like
0: the Jim Camerons and the, and the Steven Spielbergs and now the Peter Jacksons who understand the art of storytelling, use all the tools because it's foolish not to. Following their initial escape from the T-1000, John and the Terminator begin to bond, a section of the film that Cameron and Wisher both thought was the riskiest because you have a 180 character change from the first movie for Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think that this works in the film because Furlong and Schwarzenegger have a very good natural chemistry. They just click together on screen as actors. And I also think, and this is going to sound kind of weird, that Arnold Schwarzenegger is an underrated actor. Now don't get me wrong, he can be terrible in the wrong hands, with the wrong script. He is awful at times. But in the right hands, with the right script, I think that he's actually a pretty great deadpan comedian.
1: Jesus, you're gonna kill that guy
0: course. I'm a Terminator. Cameron and Wisher's writing matches up well with Arnold Strengths as an actor, which helps to sell the story of the film. And I think the other thing that helps to sell the story is the terrifying nature of Robert Patrick's T-1000. He's able to give the character such a sense of menace without having to say almost anything. Very similar to what Schwarzenegger was able to do as the Terminator in the original 1984 film. You okay? Fine. Say... That's a nice bike. Next up, we hit a sequence where John and the Terminator rescue Sarah from the mental institution she's being held in, and Linda Hamilton has another great moment in this sequence where she first sees Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out of the elevator, and you see this character's nightmares literally coming to life. This is everything that she has dreaded since she defeated that first Terminator, and you have to keep in mind that just because we know that he's good doesn't mean that she knows that he's good. Also, and this is just a little fan theory of mine, having Arnold Schwarzenegger echo Kyle Reese's line from the original Terminator film, come with me if you want to live. Come with me if you want to live. Isn't just a reference. We know that John has a detailed account of Sarah's first meeting with Kyle. Come with me if you want to live. My personal fan theory is that John programmed the Terminator before he was sent back in time to say this to his mother because he knew that she inherently would not trust this model because it was obviously the model that tried to kill her. This was a conscious message from Son to his mother in the past to try to get her to trust this Terminator. Maybe that's not the way that Cameron and Wisher intended it to be, but that's the way that it is in my head, and I think it makes the movie better. This sequence also has one of my favorite T-1000 moments, maybe my favorite in the entire movie, when he literally comes up out of the floor in order to duplicate and kill one of the facility's guards to infiltrate and find Sarah Connor. And while the floor-melting effect was 100% cutting-edge CGI, getting two of one guard in the same shot was actually the product of a much more lo-fi solution from James Cameron. These
2: guys were twins, mm -hmm. and we saved ourselves We thought of it as a cost-saving technique. We'd (laughs) We'd save ourselves the cost of about 20 optical shots by casting twins.
0: We will continue our journey through time and Terminator 2 in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste like your favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monkpack keto nut and seed bars contain one gram or less of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and are only 150 calories. They're great for people that are trying to eat better, cut back on those calories, or just have an overall healthier lifestyle without sacrificing taste. What's great is that I can keep these bars in the pantry right with everything else that tastes great. I can grab one, I love all of the flavors, and it is satisfying. It fills me up, it's a quick eat, it's healthier than most everything else that I would've grabbed for anyway, and it's something that can keep me going throughout the day. They also come in great flavors like sea salt dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, and peanut butter dark chocolate. That one is my favorite. The combination of those two flavors with the great texture is really what I go for, but you really can't go wrong matter which flavor you choose no matter what your situation is it's a great snack on the go and they are gluten-free plant-based and non-gmo with no soy trans fat sugar alcohols or artificial colors and if you take a liking to one of the flavors like i have you can also sign up to get subscribed to your favorite flavor so that you never run out and if you do that you get 10% off of every order that you subscribe to to keep you restocked with snacks that are healthy and make you feel good Try it for yourself and you'll see. And I have a special deal for my listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our promo code MOVIES at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident with their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M U N K P A C K.com and select any product. Then enter the code MOVIES at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring the show.
2: And if you want to shine them on, it's hasta la vista, baby.
0: Hasta la vista, baby. Out of all the Terminator movies, I think what makes this one my favorite, and my favorite by quite a bit, is that it's actually about something. The fate of humanity isn't just treated as a plot point, and I can actually feel the passion coming out of this film, particularly from James Cameron, this desire for humanity to truly elevate itself above its own basic programming.
2: We're not going to make it, are we?
0: It's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Even in real life, Cameron had lines regarding violence that he was unwilling to cross, including having his young star Edward Furlong wield and or shoot a gun. I never wanted to see a kid pointing a
2: gun. I just think that's, that's you know, morally reprehensible. So even if, the, even if the stakes are the survival of, of human civilization, I wasn't going to have a kid pointing a gun at, some, at, at another human being. He uses his brain. He doesn't. He doesn't use force. Didn't feel right to me if if John was supposed to be a kid that other kids could could relate to and want want to
0: emulate. Underscoring the message about violence and self destruction in the movie is the horrifying vision that Sarah has of the nuclear explosions that come with Judgment Day. Even in the edited version that I originally saw on television, this scene stuck with me more than any other scene in the entire film. It is horrifying. According to James Cameron, one of the many accolades he received after Terminator 2's release were the accolades of a nuclear team for his realism in depicting an actual nuclear explosion, and they were compliments that James Cameron received with mixed feelings.
2: A letter from, from a group of, uh, of scientists who worked at the Sandia Laboratories. They said, thank you for Terminator 2. It is the most correct visual representation of the effects of a nuclear weapon ever put on film. And I thought... Well, gee, that's a really nice compliment, but the fact that this is accurate is terrifying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To avoid this horrifying fate, Sarah decides to take matters into her own hands and has her own character turn, which, much like Arnold Schwarzenegger's, could have gone disastrously wrong. Sarah decides that in order to save the future, she has to kill Miles Dyson and goes to his home in order to do so, essentially becoming the Terminator of the first film that so traumatized a young Sarah Connor. This raises complicated questions about morality, the lines between humans and machines, doing the objectively wrong things for the right reason, and it's all held together by Linda Hamilton's great performance.
1: It's all your fault! Motherfucker, it's all your fault!
0: In the end, humanity wins out and Sarah decides not to kill Miles Dyson, drawing a final line between what humans and what Terminators are and should be capable of. Instead, Dyson is recruited as an ally and is convinced of Sarah's story of a future apocalypse by a fantastic effect, a physical effect of the Terminator removing the flesh from his arm to reveal the endoskeleton underneath. This shot amazed me. When I was young. And along with the computer generated effects for the T1000, this made me want to investigate how it was done because this was impossibly good. It was like a magic trick and I had to know just how they did it.
1: Oh my God.
0: This propels us into a fantastic act three that starts with John, Miles, Sarah, and the Terminator breaking into Dyson's lab at Cyberdyne Systems to destroy Dyson's research, and a partial computer chip and arm that survived the first movie. Joe Morton grounds this entire sequence with a very deep grief, a believable sorrow, both that his life's work is going to bring such misery in the future, and that he has to sacrifice everything that he's worked so hard for in order to save humanity. But he also has a resolve to do the right thing. And you like Miles Dyson, which is what makes his fate so heartbreaking after He's shot by a SWAT team and left behind to trigger the explosive that's going to destroy his own legacy Morton's performance in this scene where we literally see Miles Dyson's dying breath Was brought to life by a real life experience that happened to Joe Morton prior to the release of the film
1: Long before this movie been in a car accident where one of my lungs collapsed This character had just been shot in the chest so I explained to James that he would be breathing
0: like that I don't know how much longer I can hold this. This sequence also leads to Arnold Schwarzenegger's first franchise resurrection of his most famous line. Stay here. I'll be back. And that leads to a great moment on the commentary for the movie, which was recorded shortly after the release of Terminator 3, where James Cameron can't help but troll the sequel that he was not involved with. What do you think? That,
2: what do you think? Is that better than She'll Be Back? <laughs>
0: <laughs> just just pulling the group after cyberdyne is destroyed the t-1000 re-enters the picture and corners our heroes in an abandoned steel mill and the beginning of this sequence also gives schwarzenegger another one of his most famous movie moments when he blows apart the t-1000 who has been frozen by a truck full of liquid nitrogen hasta la vista baby This is Terminator 2's most famous moment, but it was actually rooted in routine for co-writers Cameron and Wisher.
1: Hasta la vista, baby. It's become one of the famous lines of the film. And it was just
0: something that Jim and I used to say to each other when we were talking on the telephone as we were hanging up, you know, hasta la vista, baby. For Arnold Schwarzenegger, he believes that the line's longevity isn't rooted in the words on the page, but in the way that he delivers them. It doesn't really matter what
1: line it is. It's all because I say every goddamn line wrong because of my accent. All of this stuff is kind of said with an accent that people just thought that's is funny. That's what then makes it kind of memorable.
0: Of course, unstoppable killing machines can't be stopped that easily, and the T-1000 reforms to fight again another day. And I love this showdown between the T-1000 and Schwarzenegger's Terminator. It is digital versus analog, and the Terminator knows that he cannot outfight the T-1000. He just has to somehow outlast him. Finally, the T-1000 is defeated, falling into a vat of molten steel, but the Terminator realizes that the future hasn't been saved just yet. There is one last chip the one that's inside his head. And he has to sacrifice himself in order to truly save humanity and accomplish his mission. Even though this means breaking up the family unit that he is now formed with Sarah and John, depriving John of yet another father figure. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. This emotional ending cuts to the heart of what James Cameron intended to do with Terminator 2, and specifically the journey of Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. It completes an arc from reviled villain to beloved hero.
2: You know, I wanted the audience to, to, to shed a tear for, for the, the baddest-ass killing machine. Forget about all the car chases and all that. It was modulating everything to this moment.
0: After saying his goodbyes, the Terminator is slowly lowered into the steel, and as he looks up at Sarah and John, he gives one last symbol of his learned humanity, a thumbs up as he descends down into a molten and fiery death. It is, in my opinion, the best movie death of all time, and I successfully argued that it was on a very early episode of Movie Fights over on Screen Junkies. It is such a sad and yet bizarrely hopeful ending to this movie, and the score, the acting, everything about it works so perfectly. It's almost good enough to make you forget that unless Sarah and John doubled back after he got lowered into the steel, the Terminator left another arm back in the factory, which is how we got to this sequel in the first place. Whoops. Nothing good that has come out of any Terminator sequel, and a few good things have, has ever justified in my eyes not ending the franchise right here. It is the perfect ending to this story with the terminators destroyed and the future for the first time a blank canvas for Sarah and John.
2: Because of a machine, a terminator can learn the value of human life. Maybe we can too.
0: And you have to wonder what would have happened with the movie if Cameron had stuck with the original ending of Terminator 2, which was much more definitive, actually showed us a future where Judgment Day didn't happen, and gave us final resolution to both Sarah and John.
2: John fights the war differently than it was foretold here on the
0: battlefield of the Senate. This was attached to the film until the very last minute when it was obvious that test audiences were not buying Linda Hamilton and old age makeup ushering out the Terminator franchise.
1: We had one test screening and the ending of the movie didn't play. I had a week to come up with a new ending. That whole ending with the highway, that was made up just like the next day in the cutting room. I just said, get me a shot of the road. I called Linda Hamilton. I dictated it to her over the phone. She recorded it. They ran it up on a fiber optic T1 line, which was a big deal at the
0: time. It is the right ending but this wasn't the only major change that Terminator 2 underwent prior to its release. There are about 15 minutes of scenes that were added back into an extended version of the film that's now widely available, including on the Blu-ray disc that comes with the 4K edition of the movie that I have right behind me. These scenes are notable because, much like Cameron's deleted sequences from Aliens, they deepen and enrich the viewing experience, and while they aren't necessary for the storytelling, because if they were, they wouldn't have been cut from the movie, they do inform you more about the characters, particularly in this case, Sarah and John. One major scene that was cut was a dream sequence, which featured the return of Michael Bean as Kyle Reese.
2: Remember the message. The future is not set. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves.
0: And someone who was not surprised at the deletion of this scene was Michael Bean himself, who, in this interview appears to be rocking his pretty badass Johnny Ringo tombstone mustache
2: it didn 't surprise me that uh, that this didn't make the cut because You've only got so much movie, and it's not part of of the storytelling. It's more of like, well,
0: remember this. Another deleted sequence is a very technically difficult one where Sarah and John switch the Terminator's chip to learning mode, allowing him to gain the knowledge that we see him gain in the second half of the movie. You can now access the CPU. Do you see it? Yes. And while it may seem simple, this scene actually involved the use of a false mirror, Stan Winston puppetry, and another set of twins.
2: We set up this mirror shot where we see Arnold apparently in the mirror. In actuality, there's no glass there at all. It's a duplicate set.
1: Because Linda Hamilton was the one that had to remove the chip. So they looked for women that looked like her. And then
2: Linda said, I have a twin sister that looks exactly like me and we used Linda's twin sister Leslie as Sarah's reflection in the mirror. So Arnold's there, puppet head is in the foreground, and we're able to come around in an unbroken shot with no cuts and actually see into the head.
0: This scene also gives us the strongest example in the movie of the leader that John Connor is destined to be as he convinces his mother not to destroy the chip and the Terminator before the mission is complete.
1: I'm never supposed to be this great military leader, maybe you should start listening to my leadership ideas once in a while. so my own mother won't. How do you expect anyone else to?
0: Another scene that was cut is one that Cameron thought went a little too far into the comedic sensibility where John tries to teach the Terminator how to smile in order to blend in.
2: That's good.
0: We also get an extended look at Miles Dyson as he struggles to balance his home and work life.
2: Why did we have these children? You don't need us. Your heart and your mind are in here, but it doesn't love you like we do.
0: And the last major addition involves a few shots that were added into the finale of the film after the T-1000 is blown apart by the Terminator and reforms that shows that it is malfunctioning and taking on the form of everything it touches, whether it means to or not. This is the exclusion that I'm not really sure why they made because it doesn't really take up that much time. And it also shows that the Terminator is damaging the T-1000. It doesn't seem quite so unstoppable. Also, it explains how John Connor knows which of his mothers is the real one when the T-1000 briefly takes on the form of Sarah. He looks down and he sees that her feet are fused to the grates and he knows that the one right in front of him is the T-1000. This is another scene along with the mirror scene that was cut earlier in the film that features Linda Hamilton's twin, Leslie Hamilton, who sadly passed away last year. The process of editing Terminator 2 and finishing the movie's visual effects and score was a grueling one, with everyone involved working pretty much around the clock leading up to the movie's release date. And according to James Cameron, the final print of the movie, the one that had to be duplicated in order to get into theaters on time, was delivered with just three hours to spare. Luckily for everyone involved, there were no snags, and the movie arrived in theaters as scheduled on July 3rd, 1991. The response was sensational from both audiences And critics.
1: This film has been very well cast. James Cameron, writer director, played a role in that, I'm sure. They spent a lot of money on this picture. They're going to get it back.
0: It is a terrific movie. I really enjoyed it. Despite opening on a Wednesday, Terminator 2 still had the second best Friday through Sunday opening of all time, trailing only Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. And Terminator 2 had the best five day opening ever posted. When the domestic box office was tallied up, it was the second highest grossing film of all time behind only Star Wars and E.T. Internationally, Terminator 2 grossed another $300 million to bring it over the half billion dollar mark worldwide. And even though those are 1991 numbers, to put it in perspective, no other Terminator film, adjusted for inflation or not adjusted for inflation, has crossed the $500 million mark worldwide. Terminator 2 stands alone. T2 would win four Academy Awards for Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Sound, Best Visual Effects, and Best Makeup, and won the second most Oscars at the 1992 Academy Awards ceremony behind only the Silence of the Lambs, which won the reported Big Five Awards, Best Picture, Director, Actor, Actress, and Screenplay. I was aware of Terminator 2 long before I was able to see the movie. It was sold to me in a variety of different ways, even though I was only eight years old and the movie was rated R. There were action figures.
1: Terminator's back to fight evil with this mobile assault vehicle. I've got to find Evil T-1000. Disguised as a policeman, Evil T-1000 aims to destroy. I've got you now.
0: And I collected Terminator 2 trading cards. I kept a bunch of them from when I was a kid. And just this year, one of my patrons sent me a couple of boxes of unopened Terminator 2 trading cards which allowed me to get the vaunted Whole set of T2 cards. They're actually right behind me on the set. When I did finally see Terminator 2, it was on network television, probably in 1993 or 1994, and even though I knew the movie beat by beat because it was on the trading cards and everybody had talked about it, I was desperate to see the movie. My mom let me stay up until the unheard of time of 10 o'clock on a school night because the movie was so long that it ran the whole primetime block from 7pm to 10pm on ABC. It
1: His biggest blockbuster ever. I'll be back. A network television premiere. Catch him and her. Hasta la vista, baby. In Terminator 2, Sunday, here on ABC. Parental discretion advised.
0: I taped Terminator 2, and I can't tell you how many times. I watched it. I was transfixed by the movie. It was one of those movies when I was a kid that had a huge effect on me seeking out how movies were made and indirectly or maybe even directly led me right here to what I'm doing today. One of the biggest Terminator 2 tie-in products actually came out about five years after the movie hit theaters and that was a theme park attraction at Universal Studios called T2 3D Battle Across Time. The attraction reunited Arnold Schwarzenegger Linda Hamilton, Edward Furlong, and Robert Patrick. James Cameron also came back and it combined 3D filmmaking, something Cameron would go on to revolutionize with Avatar, with a live stage performance as Machines from the Future once again targeted John Connor. The filmed portion alone of this 12 minute attraction cost a reported $25 million with Cameron returning to co-direct. Through sheer coincidence, Mara and I went to Universal Studios Florida in 2017, just a couple of weeks before T2 3D was set to shut its doors. Its California counterpart had already closed in 2012. And even though it was 26 years after the movie had originally hit theaters, I was able to dump money into the Terminator 2 marketing machine one last time. By the way, if you can get to Universal Studios Japan, T2 3D Battle Across Time is still an attraction there. So, you know, it'd be expensive, but you could do it. As I got older, I saw Terminator 2 first on VHS, then on DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K, which is how I own the film right now. I think I probably owned it across just about every medium it's been released on. And this 4K version of the film that I have over my shoulder is absolutely gorgeous the colors of adam greenberg's cinematography everything is so vivid and so bright i really do think the terminator 2 not just the effects but the look of the film everything about it has aged as well or better than almost every other movie that came out right around the same time The features that are on the disc have been sprinkled throughout this episode. The 4K doesn't really have a whole lot as far as special features go. The Blu-ray has three different versions of the movie, the theatrical cut, the extended cut, and then an extended extended cut, which includes the original ending of the film incorporated into the movie. The Blu-ray also has a more modern making of a special called T2, Reprogramming the Terminator, as well as one that was produced when the film came out that, again, completely spoils the film's plot. As one might imagine, Sarah has trouble accepting the Terminator as an ally. You also get several of the movie's trailers, including the movie's custom-made teaser trailers, one of the coolest trailers ever made. There are also two commentary tracks, one from James Cameron and William Wisher Jr. You've heard it throughout this episode, and another that combines interviews from several different cast and crew members that are called from different interviews over the years. And that wraps up my look at Terminator 2 Judgment Day, one of my favorite action movies, heck, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's been great to revisit the film, to talk to you about what I love, what I don't love, and I hope that you've also enjoyed that as well. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the audio feed. If you're listening to us, I'd love for you to check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash Movies. And don't forget that all June, we will be doing 90s Action Month and I have a great movie lined up for next week, another one that I'm excited to revisit and talk to all of you about. We will be back with an all new movie next week, but until then, it's time to go back on the show. I still love you stuff.
1: Every sprint, kick, lift, throw, and tackle brings you one step closer to achieving your performance goals. Get the fuel you need to finish big with Gatorade. Gatorade is scientifically researched and game tested to help you hydrate when you need it the most. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade. Studied, tested, proven. Make sure to stop by your local 7-Eleven store today and pick up Gatorade to help keep you fueled for whatever the day brings.